hopefully, um, yeah, it's not going to be a problem time-wise for you today. No, it's all good. I've got all morning. Uh, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. What, what time is it your your way now? You're San Antonio, yeah? Yeah, it's uh, Central U.S. time, so just a few minutes past 9 a.m. Not got you up for this, have I? You'd have been working anyway. No, no, no. Yeah, most mornings I'm up. I'm up and working for at least an hour by now. Yeah, I just noticed you're on the MVP list. Answered an email. I thought I hope he remembers. Got a little uh, appointment <laughs> coming up. Yeah. So I think for me personally, I look at you and go, "When do you stop?" <sighs> Sometimes I think that myself. Um, yeah. It's uh, seems to be kind of everywhere, yeah, with answering questions or. Yeah, it's a uh, I'm obsessive compulsive about that in a lot of cases, and uh, you know I take breaks during the day sometimes. I don't work straight eight hours. That's pretty painful to do, especially in the work from home environment. But you know I've been working from home for you know 15 years on and off, depending upon customer visits. So that's nothing new to me, and so I've gotten pretty good about. I don't know calling it pretty good or not, but I, um, my routine is, is I try to break things up. You know, I'll sit here for a few hours at a time and, and then something at home will distract me, you know, whether that's uh, a game on TV, uh, you know, when, when United's playing, um, or, (laughs) (laughs) or, uh, you know, whatever the dogs need to go for a walk. The dogs need to get fed. The dogs need to go outside. I want to go eat, you know, it's, at home, you can allow those distractions as long as you're disciplined about, you know, coming back and working at some point. Um, it's been able to switch off, isn't it? To, to stop, you know, if you do, you do that, you've done that work from home thing for quite a while now. So you're kind of an expert at it. I would assume that, you know, it's not working all the time, but you're able to slip out and do things and, and, and change that quality of life a little bit more so than if you sat in an office nine to five. Yeah, it's, I mean... With any with any person that's actually um, of value and uh, contributing to their organization, right? Uh, they should have the leeway to determine how to best use their time. And uh, you know, if they're not, then they're not really of value to their organization. And so, part of that is is defining your own work life balance. Sometimes sometimes it tips both ways, right? Uh, you know, one day you need to work twelve hours. Okay, great. You know, if if you're if your organization is intelligent and you know not every not every line of business can can do this right if you're in retail you know there's you can't do this right there are certain constraints but you know for for what we do and for what a lot of office workers do uh depending upon when their other office workers are trying to contact them so i guess that that's also a downside here right if we go back just 20 years 25 years, you know, no one worked at night. No one worked in the evenings because they couldn't collaborate with anyone. The ones at the office, how do you do any of this work? You might be able to do some research, you know, and once again, it kind of depended upon your organization and then what your organization did. But if you can't collaborate, if you don't have online resources and you're just at home, you can't do this. So, you know, someone clearly argue, and, and I think the Germans are in this boat, right? And I think the French are going down this line as well, that, you know, that if you can't get away from work, uh, it's, you know, not being connected and, and having emails ping you constantly, um, then, then the organization should either, should be paying you or should have that stopped. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. I saw some conversations with the French around that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty sure the Germans have 
passed some laws around it, right? Because um, I know I've dealt with a couple of organizations that, that were looking for ways to completely stop email after uh, certain time periods, after 1700 or wherever, right? So Yeah, yeah. But, you know, I mean, this going back to what you were saying about collaborating and being connected, I mean, since March, this has been a huge boom, hasn't it? Obviously, with the COVID situation, the ability to do what we're doing and the the change in business to accept it, because I, I, found, I found that to be quite a barrier at times. It depended on the person, the management um, and their outlook on homeworking uh, as to whether they were willing to accept it. Like you say, it depends on the business, doesn't it? The the willingness of them to to do it. Now it's enforced on them in a way, but effectively seeing that people are able to do it still. Um, but I don't know about yourself. I mean, I've spoken to a few people with young kids and that for them is, you know, how do I do homeworking? That's, I, could, I could find that really, really difficult. Kids of a, you know, up to the age of maybe teen years, where they have a bit more dependency on you, um, that could be tricky. I've not had to experience that, thankfully, um, in an intense yeah. way like like we've had to do with this. <laughs> so, but at least there's that acceptance that okay, you are at home with the kids more so yep. than, than than previously. So, uh, Jay. Oh, Hold on, I'm knocking things over here. I've just stretched back there and knocked, <laughs> knocked my lamp over. <laughs> I'm just about to introduce you. So that's very professional of me. Um, so Jason Sandys, uh, thanks ever so much for joining the Just a Couple of Jerks podcast this week. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. It's uh, always fun to talk to folks. That's cool. It's a, it's a pleasure. Um, so Jason, yeah, you, you've been working from home for quite a while, but recently you've, you've been working for Microsoft. How, how did all that come about? Yeah, so I've, uh, you know, being around and in the industry, you get to know lots of people. So I was, uh, I call him a friend. I mean, he's he's been a friend for a long time. A guy I met in one of my original consulting gigs, uh, who's been at Microsoft for a long time. Uh, he moved through a bunch of different jobs, um, and so you know, we struck up a friendship a long time ago. And, and as he moved his way up the chain in in Microsoft, um, you know, we always kind of kept loosely kept in touch, uh, and then. He took charge of a team. Um, I think he's been on the team for about three and a half, four years now, maybe a bit longer. Uh, and, and he took uh, control of the team about two, two and a half years ago, I think. They had an opening and uh, he called me up. Um, and uh, so it was kind of like the job found me. Um, it wasn't anything I you know, was out actively looking for. Although at the same time, you know, based upon my career path, uh, being a part of, you know, and a lot of people will call it the mothership. I think that's kind of a weird term, but I think everyone has kind of heard it at one point or another. Uh, it was always something that, uh, you know, if if, uh, if an opportunity came up, I was certainly going to look hard at it. And this just seemed like the perfect opportunity. Uh, it fit in with um, me professionally big time. Um, I think being a consultant was lots of fun for the most part. I learned tons. I, I got to do lots of cool stuff, but uh, there, there's some things that really wear on you after a while. I mean, in every job has those kinds of things, right? When you're, when you're doing kind of the same things. So that's, that's not to knock people that are consulting. It's just got to a point where, you know, if something came up and, and it, and it did, right. It was, um, 
divine intervention, divine timing, however you want to term it, because it wasn't anything I could have planned for or prepared for, but it just uh, just came kind of at a perfect time. Um, yeah, fell at the right time, and it was the time yeah. to do it. Yeah. So how long had you been a class as a consultant for then prior to that? Yeah, so I did... Um, you know, I did CT Global. I that was a uh, just under four years. Um, I did two stints at Catapult. The first was I think just under five, and the second was just under four. Uh, I did a stint of about two years at another uh, local consulting company here early on. Um, so whatever that adds up to, eleven, like fifteen-ish. Yeah. Um, had a stint at an OEM in there for about ten months. I got slipped in that that uh. I learned a lot in, uh, didn't work out in the end, but I learned a lot in and made some other, uh, good friends. Um, and then I was a contractor. So fair amount of time. Yeah. I was a contractor for about five years for the, uh, us air force as well. So, uh, and that was after I got out of the us air forces. So, so when you say you got out of the us air forces in what capacity? Yep. So I was an officer in the air force. Um, I had, two different duty stations. Uh, my first was here in actually in San Antonio. Um, and, uh, I did Oracle programming. It's way back in the day. Um, so I led a team of developers doing some Oracle programming, which was a really kind of crazy project, uh, way ahead of its time, uh, for what we were trying to do. Uh, and it, it mostly worked. <laughs> um, it, it, it did all is right. This, is this back in the nineties then? Yeah, absolutely. This was a, yeah, it was a project that came about, and it was uh, it was it was kind of crazy the stuff that we were doing. I mean, it was it was basically a lot of database replication on the back end uh, between a lot of disparate locations uh, across the globe because we actually have recruiting stations across the globe. It was actually it was uh, working for recruiting services, um, and so there's recruiting places. Most of it clearly is here in the U.S., but we do actually have stuff in, in Japan and other places where we have large contingents of American troops, right? A lot of dependents end up um, joining the military as well. So, so you know, using dial-up lines to perform replication and, you know, of, of at the time, you know, it was tens and hundreds of megs of data, but still using dial-up lines to do that <laughs> it yeah, was an interesting chore. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so that was fun. And was that jumping out of university, was it, to straight into that role? Correct, right. So Uncle Sam, I think everyone knows the reference to Uncle Sam, uh, paid for my university. Uh, and so that committed me for four years. Um, and so after after that duty station, I went on to Australia. Uh, okay. So um, I was in Australia for two years uh, at a, a early warning uh, station that is no longer there. Um, out in the middle of nowhere. It was a joint operation between us, the Aussies, um, the British. It was technically um, uh, joint with the British and the Italians as well, although we only had one uh, uh, one person from uh, Her Majesty's Royal Services while I was there, uh, outside the Australians, right? Because the Australians are actually Her Majesty's uh, services as well. So. <laughs> Um, so it was mostly Australians and Americans. Uh, it was an interesting time out in the middle of nowhere in Australia. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So when you say out in the middle of nowhere, was it because pretty sparse at times in Australia? It really was in the middle of nowhere, yeah? Yeah, so um, the largest uh, city was uh, near us was Adelaide, but Adelaide was a good five-hour drive. So 
speeds in South Australia at the time. I think the speed limit was 110. Um, so yeah, exactly. And, um, so it would take about five hours. So you're talking, you know, roughly around 500 kilometers away. Um, there were a couple of other smaller towns near us, but no, yeah, I was, uh, it was interesting. <laughs> it was a totally different way of life for sure. And lots of slower things. The Aussies in general are, they're a lot more laid back about everything, which was, which was cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So what was it? You say a totally different way of life. In what way can you expand on that? Well, it particularly was a small town, right? And we didn't have children at the time. My wife and I had just gotten married, but even for the, the other Americans there, it was great because our little small town, you could literally uh, walk from one side to the other. And I don't know, probably 20 minutes at most. Um, so, I mean, you're only talking a couple of square uh, kilometers, uh, all of a thousand people or so total in this town and, and nothing around it for, you know, hundreds of kilometers pretty much. So, um, and, and so everyone, kind of, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so, you know, people got to know each other. Um, you got to meet different folks. Um, and of course, the interesting thing for all of a thousand people, and I don't remember the exact number, there were something like six or seven pubs, right? And that was the predominant uh, local business. <laughs> I mean, it was about a half civilian uh, and half military because the, the, the town itself, it was it was a, a, uh, what are they, a Commonwealth municipality. So it was actually run by the Commonwealth of Australia, right? And there, there was no like local elections. There was no nothing. I mean, it was literally a, a federated town. Um, and so there was a town council um, that I was actually a part of. I got nominated uh, by the, the facility commander to be on the town council for like a year. So I got to see some kind of, I mean, nothing was major, but it was just kind of interesting to be part of that. And uh, But to be in the town, you actually had to be employed by either the facility that we worked on or the town itself uh, or one of the supporting things. You had to be approved to be in town. So if you didn't actually have a purpose to be in town, they would escort you out. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so that was kind of interesting. Um, and, and, you know, just the animals as well, right. That was, you know, for most people in the world, right. It's, it, it's very different animals and, and they were around, right. I mean, kangaroos, we had emus walking down the street. Um, there were kangaroos all over the place. Um, you know, those were the two predominant ones, but they also had, I think one of the cooler ones is they had these things called these notchback eagles and these eagles would land on the road and they would land on dead kangaroos right i mean and over here in the u.s we have the you know the, the normal roadkill with with deer i'm sure they have i don't know if there's deer in, in the uk that the roadkill but we do here big time well there it was all kangaroos because they were everywhere and and particularly in the winter months they'd be attracted to the warmth of the road and so they'd get close to the road and get hit by the trucks right um and so these notchback eagles would land on these uh these kangaroos and and just height wise, these eagles were three, four, five feet high, right? I mean, you know, a uh, meter, meter and a half easy. And their wingspans were huge as well. And they wouldn't move. They would just, you would become flying up on them in the car and they wouldn't move. They would just stare at you. <laughs> it was <laughs> just like, wow, exactly. You know, and there were stories of what they could do with their talons. You know, I'm sure their oh, talons geez. were yeah, immensely yeah, yeah. powerful. So yeah, you just kind of avoided them. They were pretty crazy. And everyone was always afraid their dogs were going to get carried off and stuff. And there were stories. I mean, I don't know if it really happened, but there were stories of little dogs getting carried off too. So, oh, geez. yeah, 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 yeah. 
<laughs> they sound immense. I mean, we we have little stories here about uh, swans breaking your breaking your legs or whatever just by flapping their wings. But these eagles sound horrific. I'm gonna have to check them out. Yeah. Uh, take a look. So, will they just kind of just stand there then? You kind of just stop the car and wait for it to go or go around you'd, it. Or yeah, you'd go around it. You'd slow down and go around it because there were also stories of them coming through windshields and stuff too. So. Oh, Jesus um, Christ. Yeah. Once again, I, I don't know how true any of those stories exactly were, but it's not one of those that you really wanted to mess around with. So. Yeah. So I was going to ask you about little poisonous spiders, but these eagles sound horrific. <laughs> well, yeah, there were spiders and snakes. I think, and I don't. Once again, I don't remember all the numbers, but I think it's something like seven of the most deadly snakes in the world are in Australia. And since we we're out in the middle of nowhere, they they came. There was a couple that came around. I don't remember which kind. Uh, and they were all. Yeah, they were all protected as well, right? So you couldn't just kill them. Uh, not that people didn't, because you know, when when your dogs and your kids and stuff were around, people would. But but they were all protected, and um, yeah, I guess the spiders. We didn't see too many spiders. I guess the spiders kind of stayed away from the populated areas. But uh, supposedly there were tons of deadly spiders too. So, gosh, it's interesting <laughs> time then. <laughs> yeah, we had just, fun with it. Yeah, just a couple of years you were there. You say, yeah. Correct. Yeah, I was literally just just under two years. I think. Let's see here. We moved over in. Yeah, I guess it was mid December, and we left in mid December. So I think it was just about two years. Right, and so your wife went over as well. Yeah. Correct. Yeah, we got married right before, and um, I guess that was part of the deal. So she got to she got to experience life in the middle of nowhere while I was at work. So she was kind of bored most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, what was her day-to-day -day thing? Was she not really doing anything? No, not much. She did. A, there was a local bank in town. Uh, Westpac, I think, was the Australian bank. Uh, so she worked there for a little while, I think. And there was there was a couple of other little odd things that she did, but she just tried to keep busy for a while and, and started up some hobbies and stuff. And, and we tried to travel as much as we could as well, too. So I think out of those two years, I calculated it at one point, we were... And I don't remember the exact number of days, but it was something like 75 to 90 days, somewhere in there, that we were actually not in uh, in, in the town. Uh, the town was called Woomera. Um, and so that was driving down to Adelaide. Uh, five hours you know, is, is a long way for a road trip over a weekend. But we did that a few times, or we'd take three, four-day trips and go to Adelaide. We drove to Melbourne, which was fun. Uh, that was a, like... Um, it was a long drive, but we drove to Melbourne. Um, you know, we flew to Sydney. We went up to Brisbane. We went up to the Gold Coast. Uh, we uh, spent New Year's in Fiji one time. Um, so yeah, we got all around. It was kind of nice. You can't, you've kind of got to do it, haven't you, while you're there? You yeah, absolutely. Can't. Yeah, there were folks that, that really took advantage, and, and they went up to Thailand and Hong Kong. And this was still mid '90s, so Hong Kong was still uh, the British Republic, right? Um, so they got up there. There were folks that actually went to Beijing and, and got around in China as well. Um, cause you know, it, it's still a little bit of a longer flight, but not like it is from over here. So, um, so people did. And then of course, you know, the Australians loved going to Malaysia and Kuala Lumpur and that. So a handful of folks went up there at times too. So definitely, definitely do while you can, cause it may never happen again. Kind of thing, isn't it? Yeah, so exactly. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So going back further then, Jason, um, you know, I, I kind of ask a few people this, you know, IT, was it the thing that you wanted to do when you were a kid or did you have other aspirations? Yeah, I don't know if I really had a, a direct aspirations. I, I always kind of liked doing architecture in that when I was um, 
kind of growing up and, you know, and, and more of the residential architecture, it quickly becomes clear though, that there's, unless you're like, you know, a supreme architect, there's not a whole lot of money in that. And, and it's a pretty cutthroat business. Uh, cause you can, I mean, unless you're designing houses for like, you know, Hollywood stars or, you know, fabulously rich people and, and that market's not very huge, right. Comparatively, there's not a ton of money in it and there's not a huge amount of opportunity in it. So, um, but I'd always, you know, played with computers to a certain extent. Uh, I remember getting an Atari 800, I think, uh, so way back and, and just kind of, you know, dinking around on that and, and kind of learning basic and, and you know, playing games and doing that kind of stuff. And and so it just kind of carried on from there. Was the Atari 800 your kind of first exposure then to something uh, like that? I think so. I remember going over a friend's house before that and they had an Atari 400. <laughs> so, <laughs> and I think that was the one with like the membrane keys, right? If you, those were kind of oh, crazy yeah. to type on. Yeah, yeah. So that was more of a game machine for sure. You couldn't do a ton of nice typing, but. Yeah, I was kind of envious of the uh, the 400 or, or the one of those two after having the VCR, um, you know, the cartridge thing. It was like, oh, wow. Right, right. Should I should I go for that? And I think my, my dad ended up buying my brother uh, an Acorn Electron, which I don't know if you've heard of that one. It's um, I heard, but I don't know if I've ever seen. Yeah, it's, it's part of the it's kind of the sister computer to the BBC Micro, which was kind of big. Again, I don't know if that was. That no, big. I. I don't think I'd ever heard of that one. That might have been something kind of unique to the UK there. Yeah, tied in with the BBC, the British Broadcast Corporation, yeah. So, um, but, you know, it was kind of the start of computing for me, tinkering away with a few bits of coding. Bit of basic, BBC basic uh, was, was the name of the, the language built into that. But um, But really, for me, it was all about games as a kid. I wasn't much of a programmer never never really have been so yeah i don't know were yourself were you are you doing a little, little bit of coding a little bit of programming yeah i've done a fair amount of coding i mean my so you know that that led to my um my exposure to uncle sam and, and really when i agreed to you know go into the military through what the program over here is called rotc reserve officer training corps uh, and that's how they paid for my university. Um, so I had to pick a major that they wanted me to pick, of course. So there was a short list of majors. And that was one that was on there. And of, of all the ones that I you know, had any interest in, it was computer science. Like, okay, yeah, that sounds good to me. Um, and so I, I did have you know, a little bit of, of background in it. And, and so and computer science was heavily programming and, and coding. So um, so did that. And, and like I said, my first job in the Air Force was... Uh, doing Oracle programming. So I did a fair amount of that. And I still, I still do a fair amount of different things today. You know, so. Yeah. I had a quick look at on your LinkedIn, uh, my, my five minutes of research and uh, <laughs> uh, noticed that degree. And you went to the university of Michigan. So is that, is that where you were brought up uh, Michigan way? Or did you move to the university there? Yeah. So mostly uh, from about the, I guess age of whatever third grade is here. Uh, I guess eight, is that eight? Yeah, it's about eight, nine, ten-ish, somewhere in there. Um, we settled down in, in Michigan. Uh, my father was in the U.S. Army. So they moved around quite a bit, and while well, I moved around a little bit with them, but my dad was in the Army well before I was born, so they moved around a lot more than I did. But um, So, yeah, we settled in Michigan, and and, uh, and that was kind of the natural choice school to go to, so it wasn't too far from where we lived. It's about an hour away. So so as a, so as a, ki- as a kid, were you moving around a little bit then? Quite. Yeah, a little bit. Not too much. We were in Germany for five years, uh, but that was like 
you know, I bits and pieces of memory because I was super small at really, that point really in time. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, uh, and then I got two years in Kansas and then, then my dad got out. So my brothers were everywhere though. So <laughs> my brothers are about 10 years older than I was. And so they moved every 12 to 18 months. Uh, particularly my, my dad was in Vietnam for two tours as well. So they were off on, on their own with my mother while he was in Vietnam. So yeah yeah disruptive i suppose uh, you know uh, as a, at a younger age but you didn't feel that effect too much then not really i mean i think you know it has different effects on every kid right so and i think um, a lot of military kids they just kind of get used to it if, if they've grown up in and a lot of them become you know very extroverted very very outgoing and, and they get a lot done and you know with that time and they just they just learn to deal with it uh, and it just becomes part of who they are so but you know, just like with with everything, there are kids that don't react so well to it as well. So, so when you uh, so obviously then you you went into to do the bit with the uh, the stint in the Australia, so you were moving mm-hmm. around again there as well, and then you're in the st- you come back into the states, um, and and you finished up doing that particular role with the with the military. So ha- where did you move to next then? What was the next thing after that? Yeah, so my wife was here from San Antonio, so the natural place, at least temporarily, was to come back here to San Antonio. Um, and so we lived with my in-laws for a couple of months as I was looking around trying to figure out what I was going to do. And uh, there was a friend from before, from when I was uh, stationed here initially, um, and her father was a contractor uh, for the U.S. Air Force and said, hey, we got a position available and it sounded like a fit. So I went and interviewed and that was uh, pretty much all she wrote for that. So I got that job and... And that was my contracting job for the U.S. Air Force for about five years. So, so that's how that all got kicked off. And so that was that was an interesting time. So, uh, I got to see a lot of interesting things. Um, learned a lot, a lot of stuff. Uh, you know, I think just about people in general. About because um, at that point we we still didn't have kids. Actually, I had my first child while I was there. So, so that was a, a definite growing experience. And and. Not being part of the military, right? The military is very regimented about a lot of things and in every place it is. But then finally being free, you know, I hadn't, I've always been kind of associated with the military to a certain extent, even, you know, living under my, my dad's roof. So, um, and then just being on my own for really the first time, right? We, we, it was, it was just a growing experience. And, and, you know, when you're in, in your mid twenties and you're just kind of free to do whatever you want. Oh Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I, I know that period. Fuzzy, fuzzy <laughs> memories of that time. That's great. Yeah, great time. it's uh, yeah. it seems like a lifetime ago at times for sure. It, it does, it does. And then responsibilities kick in and things like that as we get a bit older. We we mature with it as well. Um, yeah. So uh, the the config manager stuff. Then, um, I mean, you you were involved quite early on with that. Then were you kind of SMS days? Yeah, that was that job right there. So. Um... They had SMS 2.0 stood up for that organization, um, and there was one guy on my team that, that kind of maintained it, so I started picking it up from him. Um, and we're talking SMS 2.0 maybe. This was 99, so I'm trying to think service pack levels at this point. I'm thinking service pack 3 or 4 at that point. I don't remember exactly. So not the greatest heyday of SMS uh, for folks that, that go back that far. Um, it, it worked, but it wasn't the greatest uh, thing. Um, so there was there was a fair amount of learning and a, and a decent learning curve at that point, uh, even. So I picked it up. He left about a year later to become a rapid response engineer for Microsoft. 
Um, so at that point, it all kind of fell on. Eh, maybe it was more than a year. Maybe it was about two years. Uh, but at that point, it all kind of fell on me. So, um, and we were on an engineering team, so I wasn't doing day-to-day administration. I was just doing engineering. So that was kind of, you know, I got a chance to play around and learn everything at the same time. So, so that's where that all really started. Um, and and so I got deep in SMS at that point in time, uh, which was good. So what about the community side of things, though? So when when did that kick in? Was that around that time? Yeah, I don't. God, I, you know, thinking back, I think the community itself was just being born at that time. But I, I definitely wasn't involved. I mean, there were things like Swink, uh, which I don't even remember what it stands for. S W Y N C K. Um, yeah, it was it was the precursor to my IT forum. Um, so that was around, and my IT forum kind of popped up in those those days as well, um, but I don't remember exactly when it was. So, um, and so uh, yeah, the, I mean the forum for everybody even at that point, right? The internet was relatively new for everyone in business and that, and right, that TechNet wasn't even on. Actually, I think TechNet had just transitioned to being online at that point in time. Got to remember all the knowledge base and things like that, and those were the 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 fun days of IT where you just kind of guessed and prayed and, <laughs> you know, cause, cause there was no, there was nothing online, right? I mean, nobody was blogging, no one was doing any of those kinds of things. So if you didn't know, and it was buying books, right? I mean, I still have stacks of books and I've probably thrown away twice as many books over the years or thrown them in the recycle bin, at least um, stuff that just doesn't matter anymore. Cause I can either find it online or just for old so stuff that tight. doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, and so do you kind of remember that getting involved in the community early on though, or is that kind of, yeah, it wasn't, it definitely wasn't there when I was a contractor. So I took that first consulting job. Um, and, and that lasted for about two years and there was a little bit of, you know, I, I wasn't part of the community at that point. I, I kind of followed it, but even then, right. It wasn't, I mean, cause it, it was, cause I remember going to my first MMS in that period when I had that first consulting job in, in the, um, in Mandalay Bay in Vegas uh, was the first MMS uh, that I went to. And what, I remember you, that was year the, would that be, Jason? Do you remember? It was the Wall of Fire one. It was, I want to say it was 2000, 2003-ish maybe. Um, I'm trying to think. I think it was after my first daughter was born, but before my second. So I think it was 2003-ish. And and I think that was there. There had been a couple of MSs before that, but that was the first one that I went to. Um, there was also the uh, um, the Windows IT Pro magazine. I don't know if they had that over there in the, in the UK or not, but they had they had a bi-yearly conference as well. That there was it was the IT Dev Connections, which they kind of tried to revive here uh, a couple of years ago, and then they had a few again. So so that was kind of my introduction and getting you know getting introduced to a handful of people and meeting some folks and and getting into that but didn't really contribute a lot and until my next job so from there after two years um there were some things that didn't agree with me with the, the that consulting company that i was with for a lot of different reasons um so left took an fte job for about 18 months uh with another organization and that's when i started getting in the community and and I started learning about the MVP program and and uh, it was kind of funny at, at one point I was just like you know I think I want to be an MVP and in, and I had I, at that point I wasn't specializing in in SMS either at that organization I, I did a little bit I did a, I did a fair amount at that consulting job and I started doing a little bit at this organization I introduced it to the organization and we started using it 
but I didn't really know at that point in time, just was trying to contribute as much as possible, which still wasn't a whole lot. And it was all my IT form at that point in time. Um, so we started going down that path. Um, then a, um, another job at a, another consulting place popped up. Um, trying to think, oh, there's a guy from my other consulting job that went to this new consulting place that they recommended me. And so I went in for an interview and one thing led to another. So I, I hopped on there. And that's where I met uh, Cameron Fuller. So folks that are familiar with the MVP community and, and ops manager in particular uh, are familiar with Cameron. So Cameron was at that at Catapult. That was the new consulting uh, company. And I knew he had been doing some authoring. And, you know, we got to talking one day and I was like, hey, you know, if anything comes up or, you know, I'd be happy to contribute. Um, and so um, he, uh, Carrie Myler was the main uh, author on the ops manager books. And so she coincidentally at that point and, and i had no idea at this point so i guess this could be another one of those divine intervention moments that i've had many of in my in my life that i couldn't explain or i could never have planned for uh you can you can attribute it in whatever you want but i'll just definitely call them divine intervention um that that they were doing a, a config manager book the first one the 2007 unleashed book um, oh, okay and and their lead author dropped out because he was going off to do some other things in his personal life um so I won't throw him under the bus, but he knows who he is. Uh, so thank you to him as well, because uh, without him, I wouldn't have that in. And, and so that was my first into really doing anything super in depth. Uh, and so I got I picked up a couple chapters in that book. Um, you know, the other folks on that book included uh, folks like Greg Ramsey. Um, God, I think who else was on that book? It was me, Greg. I have to even look. I think I have it on my shelf over here, but oh well. Um, and so that that was kind of my in and and that and and the other thing and and Carrie was responsible for this as well as she's like so do you you know I, I think you you probably good material for being MVP do you, do you monitor the TechNet forums and I was like no uh, you know I never even thought about going there and doing anything because I had been doing the IIT forums but I hadn't been doing TechNet she's like well you should do the TechNet forums and so that's when I started you know diving into the TechNet forums. Uh, and then so based on mainly those two things, that those contributions and, and the book um, that led to somebody, uh, I know at least one person that nominated me. I don't know if anyone else did, but that nomination led to me getting my MVP. So, And then it was all uphill from there because then my contributions just started going up and up and up as far as community, uh, community pieces. So. Yeah, so I mean, TechNet forums, I mean, you're an absolute legend really on, on those. I mean, looking at the stats, it's unbelievable, really. Um, yeah, that's my OCD kicking in. Um, I can't leave <laughs> things alone at times. Um, yeah. And and um, I don't know. I just it's one of those I really, really. There's really two folds to it, right? A, I, I get to see and and hear and attempt to solve a lot of things that I would have never. I'm not even close to right. That that I would have never seen. That I would have never talked about that I would have never had any inkling about that even existed. So there's a lot of things like that, that, that I know about through kind of living vicariously through other folks who have either had the issue or, or faced a challenge that I've never even, you know, thought about it at a customer or for myself. Um, so that's one piece of it. Um, and I don't know if that's the main piece of it or not, but it's definitely there. And it's, it's one of the reasons I think I just, and, and I retain all, a lot of this stuff as well, good for good, bad, or, or and different. I do retain a lot of it. So well, that's that's what I was going to ask you, really. So, you know, I mean, I can retain for so long, but do you have like a photographic memory in uh, at certain? I don't think so, but I mean, I you know, I don't I don't have like a mind palace. If you've seen like Sherlock and uh, 
uh, or, or uh, the mentalist, right? They talk about this mind palace, and I do think that's a real concept, but I don't, I don't know how it works. I, I definitely don't do anything like that. I just, uh, but I don't memorize things either. The, my, I think my main key is I, I remember where to find things, uh, and so in a way that kind of I guess is is the mind palace technique, right? Because if you've ever heard them like talk about it, and either of those shows, they both talk about it. It's kind of funny um, where they 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 create literally a palace. And then they create rooms and they know where they've stored that information in which room. And so now when they think about that room, they can recall that information that's associated with that room. Well, I don't use a palace metaphor, but I remember, oh, yeah, it was on so-and-so's blog, right? It was on so-and-so's blog or this was here. And so I don't have to even remember the article title. I just know that, you know, assuming it's a decent blog, they have a decent search engine and I can go find it. You can find it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so trying to memorize is a goat rope. That's <laughs> it just doesn't. Yeah. I, I mean, for me, I mean, I've not been on there for a little while and I've been slacking and I keep dipping back in every so often. Um, but when I was really piling on the points, um, it was a total learning experience as well, as well as sharing the knowledge that you already knew, which is exactly what you're saying, isn't it? You may not know it completely but you'll go off and check it out right and you'll be able to provide that answer and therefore you then learn from it you know and you might retain that or or even if you don't retain it you may search for it down the line and find that you actually answered that question with that particular answer yep. um and that's it it just enriches it doesn't it yeah 100 percent. you know um and, and you find out what you don't know as well. And I think that's kind of part of learning, right, is is you're not learning things that you do know, of course. But um, there's been more than one case where people are like, no, you're wrong. And, and I'll be like, well, yes, I am right. And no, you're wrong. And and here's kind of the tip of the iceberg. And be like, oh, interesting. And then I go off. And, and a lot of, I think, some of my better blog posts that I've had over the years are because of people calling me out and saying, no, you're wrong. And so I go deep, digging deeper. Uh, and figure out, oh, okay, well, here's what's really going on, and and here's why I was maybe just a little bit right, or here's why I was completely wrong, right? And that, and that's totally valid, right? And I think uh, it's one thing that uh, I think everyone has to learn over time, and I certainly had to learn was standing up and saying, yep, I was wrong. You know, I was either being an idiot or I just didn't know any better, and 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 here's why I was wrong, Chris. Because sometimes the why you're wrong is is important too, right? Because um, it helps you figure out. Uh, exactly what you were missing uh, and it helps other folks figure out what they were missing as well and, and why they're interpreting things wrong and now when that same or a similar scenario comes up you can properly interpret it and come to the the correct answer the correct conclusion then so there's a lot of value in that so and and, and you will particularly remember those occasions where you did get it wrong because you go oh, i remember this now because I, I thought it was this and it was actually that and you know yep. it, it, it just enriches everything. Like I say, it, it really helps. Um, you know, if someone is w- wanting to become a, a, an expert as such in the field, then it's worth um, them once they're dabbling, dipping into the forums and trying to answer those questions. And I mean, that's exactly what I did, really, um, to try and gain more knowledge over time. Uh, definitely recommend it. Yeah. And then there's, I mean, there's value, of course, for the community here as well. I think that's the other thing I think, um, and, and not to be egotistical about it or big headed about it, but I think I've had a hand in a lot of folks success over the years. Uh, folks that I've never met, I've never, you know, explicitly interacted with, but I've uh, helped them be successful uh, in managing their config manager and their, and their Windows environments in general. Um, I agree. 
I agree. I mean, you know, your name was one of the first names in the community I, w I would have known. I think Niall probably would have been another um, because of that visibility of yourself answering those questions. If I get stuck on something, I'm going to search for an answer and no doubt may find you at least contributing, if not getting the answer right. <laughs> so, right. you know, that that make it gives you know huge benefit to anyone uh as you say it's giving back to people isn't it that your knowledge and your yeah. ability or, or you know even if it's not something you knew that you found that answer for them uh for yep. sure i mean yeah. my, my claim to fame is that uh, i was the proud person to ac accept or to mark the answer as correct when it took you over your <laughs> two hundred thousand marks i was dead chuffed about that because <laughs> yeah. i think uh, i was thinking well you know this is this is imminent um I don't know how many points you're on now, but I'm on about 18,000, so it's, it's pretty dire, really. Yeah, well, it's all going to go away anyway, so that's okay, because uh, uh, we're switching over to the Q&A platform. For, the Intune ones are already lit up right now, uh, and the Config Manager ones are lighting up next month. And then there'll be a hard cut over where I guess it doesn't go away because they're making all of the TechNet stuff read-only, but it is, uh, it is all shifting over to the Q&A platform. Um, do we get points? Um, you can go out to the, the. There are some forums on the Q and A platform already, but I, I didn't. I didn't actually pay attention to whether you get points or not, right? Um, and and so I honestly don't know if those are there or not. Um, clearly, it's it's not something I've ever explicitly paid attention to. Um, yeah, I have points, but it is what it is, right? So you've you've got a few. Just have a have a look. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, built, it's built up slightly yeah um, so like going back to that first mvp award then uh jason so you got nominated you got made mvp and so how, how did that feel you know that was pretty cool at the, no yeah that was um that was really uh i don't know if achievement's really the right word here um it's something that I'm I'm super proud of of achieving and super proud of being a part of for so long as well, uh, and and you know with my move to Microsoft it was something that I discussed with uh, so Dan's the guy who brought me out of Microsoft and and is my uh, current manager too, something that that he and I discussed, um, and and because it is a it was such a big part of my at least professional identity. Um, and and it, it seeped into my personal identity at times, right? I mean, it, it's hard not to, but it was definitely, you know, the core pillar of my professional identity. And so for me to lose that, I mean, losing is not really the right word here either, but to move on from that, I guess, um, it, it's definitely been a little bit of a shift. Um, and, and so that was a big discussion I had. And I think, um, and, and that in and of itself just, you know, tells you how valuable how valuable that was to me. And, and I guess a lot of people don't realize that one of the reasons it is so valuable is because of the relationships I formed because of it. Um, you know, knowing, getting to, I would have never met you. I would have never met, you know, Kim. I think Kim's one of the greatest people that I know. Uh, and Kent is clearly the greatest person I know for folks that have never met Kent. Uh, that's a pretty much universal statement for everyone who's ever met Kent. Um, and, and getting that, different perspective on life um you know because because the mvp community is definitely not just about tech yeah we talk a lot of tech we talk a lot of things like that but 
there are clearly tons of other conversations as well and tons of other experiences that we've shared and uh because you're all, all of a sudden you're giving up the the kind of the summit week aren't you you're, that that interaction there or you know it's 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 a or it's in a different way maybe because i've seen you still involved on the we have the monthly calls you're still involved there i see yeah absolutely um you're obviously vocal on the the email list that we have as well right in a way for me it's been an evolution um because i i've been able to maintain that Partly because, you know, after 12 years, I've formed some pretty strong relationships with people. So that that's a good piece. But as my in my role in, in, in Microsoft now, I'm able to maintain those relationships as well for slightly different reason. Um, but the, the relationships are still have tons of value for me personally, as well as Microsoft. Right. Uh, and so I'm still able to participate Um and, you know, even unfortunately, everything's been canceled this year, but, you know, the MVP yeah. summit itself this year, I was planning on being there. Right. And, and no one, everyone's like, cool, that's great. You know, and uh, no one had any heartburn with it. Um, and, and, and in reality, it still just continues to enhance things. So because I think one of the cool things, so the, the position I'm in now, right, for Microsoft is really about, you know, the MVPs are about being an independent liaison between customers and Microsoft. Clearly, I'm not independent anymore, but I'm still a liaison between customers and Microsoft. So, um, uh, although I get to be deeper and I get to to do some things in a different way, I get to peel back the curtains. I can see the the wizard behind the curtain in a lot of places, um, which I never had access to some of that. But at the same time, I, I had some of it, and I had still some of that visibility. So, uh, it, it's really an evolution of a role for me. So that's that's really been part of the cool part. Is yeah, I had to you know drop that MVP tag uh, officially. But in a way, you know, those relationships are still there and, and I've gotten to form a lot of cool new relationships as well too. I've met some just totally fantastic people as well. So Yeah, it's, co- it's kind of coming into it with a different angle. You're seeing even further behind the scenes. You're in there now. Um, and you're one of these people, there's a few of them who've gone and made the move to Microsoft who've continued with the blogging kept putting themselves out there rather than just going, okay, um, I'm not an MVP anymore. You know, I don't need to do that. Or, you know, it's right. obviously it's obviously ingrained in them as, as something they do. Uh, Pear's one of those people, for example, and Steve Hoskins as well, who've kept that community thing going uh, even after that move to Microsoft. Yeah, for sure. It's, it's still a piece of, of Microsoft's core identity as well um, that... You know, I think luckily, I don't know about luckily, but it's it's an often, it was an oft piece of conversation with some of the folks that I was um, uh, talking to before taking the job and even since taking the job, folks that have been around for longer than Sacha's uh, tenure as uh, CEO, uh, is the culture that was in Microsoft under the previous CEOs, uh, really one in particular. So. Um, the, the culture was not always the greatest. Uh, and there are a lot of people who, who I think, I think most people in Microsoft, uh, are very happy that that time is no longer there. They, they value those experiences. They're, they're happy they went through them, but they're, ha- they're very happy they're in the past as well. Um, but at the same time, and, and so really the culture, even then though, and, and, and big time now is, is really focused on making sure that um, 
you know, what we do is, is the best thing we can do. And, and the whole purpose of the team that I'm on now is getting that information from the customers and figuring out what that means and, and how we need to make our products better. Um, and, and that's a, just a huge pillar, right? And I think that's what the MVPs have always been about as well, is right, let's make everything better for the customers. Now, the MVPs are directly there implementing things. I'm no longer implementing things um, directly for customers, although I do sit with them, I see their pain. So um, there's a lot of parallels still, so. No, it's interesting. It's interesting um, to hear your side, uh, you know, on, on move, making that move and how that, that changes for you. Um, so Jason, we you know we can't we can't do this podcast without talking uh, football. <laughs> let's let's move on to football or soccer. Absolutely, no, no, no. I don't I don't call it soccer. Only when I have to to, to folks that are ignorant of of a, how a ball actually hits a foot, or when the ball actually hits the foot, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, there's a massive match tonight. Yeah, it's uh, as you know, it's Brentford v Barnsley. <laughs> I thought I thought Barnsley had already been relegated. No, no, you're not, you've not kept up with it. No, I don't follow the championship. I, I except for at no. the top, I saw that Leeds got promoted, and that was about it. No, don't, don't. They're our rival team, or oh, a <laughs> rival team, based you know, sure. at 10, 12 miles away. Um, no, I, I looked early. I think you've got West Ham, aren't you tonight? Um, uh, yes. But uh, I think that, is that an irrelevant match again? I don't look at the Premier League because <laughs> it's irrelevant to me. Uh, is it your a bit? Have you got a chance to get into Champions League, or are you? on the edge of that or yeah that's exactly what it is so if if uh if united win uh against west ham uh and then i think they can come away with even depending upon the 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 goal difference because they're even on goal difference with leicester right now um and then they win their last game against leicester then they're into the champions league no problem um and of course chelsea has to play liverpool i don't know if that's today as well yeah yeah okay yeah so depending upon where, because they're all kind of uh, almost level on points, I think Chelsea has two points on both Leicester and and Man U right now. So come on then, what what were your thoughts on Liverpool winning though? <laughs> um, you're not you're not going to comment on that, no. Yeah, I mean they're they're clearly at least pre-break, right? Uh, and and over the past sixteen to eighteen months, they were clearly the 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 most efficient uh team in the world and, and the team with some of the best talent in the world as well right uh, i don't think anyone would deny virgil van dyke and uh you know the three forwards just combined so well uh and, and individually those three forwards aren't necessarily you know the top of the heap but together they were clearly uh the best in the world right so um they haven't shown that over the past few games but yeah, well, you know, I think they afforded themselves such a luxury, hadn't they, with the amount of points they got that, yep. um, yeah, they didn't, I mean, they've done it now. So I take it at that point, talking about Kent, did you hear from Kent <laughs> when that happened? <laughs> no, 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 he knows, uh, well, he, he typically gloats a, a fair amount, particularly because he hadn't been able to gloat for a long, long time previous to this last about tw- 24 months. Um, so, uh, no. But uh, he's he's the first to uh, show off his Liverpool socks, and uh, he stole my daughters at a conference one time and put them into Liverpool jerseys and forced <laughs> them to take pictures too. So that was that was John underhanded Cruelty, and devious, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I was a bit, we we were in Denmark though, so it was not a whole lot I could do. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you, you, when you came over to 
to uh, England last time when you did the W Mug. Did you um, did you go to Old Trafford that time, or was it? Um, no, we went to. Yeah, we didn't want to take the train. Yeah, we went to Wembley and we saw City and Tottenham. Um, so that was a big match that night. Um, just, it was uh, pretty cold though, since it was an evening match, and uh, but it was it was fun. Uh, Wembley's super cool. We we took a tour of Wembley. I think the last time we were in England uh, with my daughters, and so it was kind of cool to go into a game itself at Wembley. Wembley's an impressive place, and uh, uh, so it was it was a good game. Uh, it was a decent game. So have you been? Was that the first time you'd been then? The, the when you did the tour? Um, yeah, when we did the tour, it was the first time to Wembley. Yeah. So oh, okay. So here's my claim to fame. Back in the nineties, I used to work uh, at Wembley Stadium occasionally at the old one, selling hot dogs. Nice. In the hot dog stand. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's awful. It really is. Well, it's not too bad. We used to give the stewards um, free hot dogs to be able to stand and watch games from the, the area that you weren't supposed to stand. So we sure. got to see um, a couple of Eng- England, Brazil, I think, with Paul Gascoigne playing back then. Oh, nice. And, um, um, a few playoff finals that were very. Um, very like um, interesting. Like, Tramia Reading, I think, might have been one of them, which sounds awful, but it's something like a four-three match. Um, but the worst time there was we did a Rod Stewart concert. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was. Um, oh God, I can't remember. The support act was terrible. Um, but anyway, we were there from. Um, at 10 o'clock in the morning and they opened about midday and it went through right till almost midnight oh and that's a long day you weren't allowed to serve beers with the lid on so we had to open the bottles with our hands which starts off okay right and then it start you start to get a bit of a, a burn sensation on your hand and then it becomes really difficult and it's awful and by, by about three hours in it's just a sea of people coming at us all the whole time um yeah, one of the worst experiences I've had for uh, for, for working there. But um, you know, we uh, we got, as I say, got to see some free games and stuff. So that was pretty cool. Yeah, um, that's nice. I got served a Rod Stewart lookalike as well. Which was, <laughs> <laughs> unless it was Rod, who knows? Um, yeah, so it's it's pretty much changed. I mean, I I love the old Wembley. I love the twin towers and all that. But um, you know, I think it's missing that uniqueness. I mean, even it's got the arch. It's still yeah. Nice. The arch is pretty impressive. It's it's pretty cool. It's very distinctive. It is, but you know, the twin towers seem to, for some reason, have that uh, little extra to it. But sure. Um, but yeah, it's it's a pretty pretty impressive uh, stadium, to be honest. And uh, you know, I've actually watched Barnsley lift up a cup there. Um, you know, <laughs> it was the uh, the Johnson's paint trophy that that classic. Yeah, I can't say I've ever watched any of those matches. <laughs> so the, the Johnson's Paint Trophy, if you don't know, is for anyone who's in League One and Two as competing. Uh, um, so we, yeah, we, you know, I never thought in my lifetime I'd see Barnsley pick up a trophy at Wembley, but there you go. Hey. You know, grown man crying. You know, <laughs> <laughs> we've done it. We've we've got the Johnson's Trophy. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's a biggie tonight. The biggie for us tonight. So we, we, we aren't relegated yet, but we probably will be tonight. Um, we play Brentford, who are battling to get promoted in, into the Premier League. Um, and then we can only catch up to the team who are fourth from the bottom, which is Charlton. And they play Leeds. 
And also, Charlton is where I live, uh, and it's my oldest favourite team. So there's a little bit of rivalry going to be going on tonight uh, between <laughs> us. It's going to be interesting. I'm pretty much um, convinced we're not going to make it, and we're going to be back to League One. But, you know, it's all fun, isn't it? It's all part of it, the ups and the downs. Yeah, I mean, no, no team is going to win everything. I mean, unless... Particularly unless not Barnsley. Yeah, I mean, even... <laughs> Even Barcelona, right? Uh, they're in, and and the funny thing is, Barcelona being in crisis means that they finished second, right? Um, so and uh, and, and and Madrid, right? They they clearly have an up year, but still, you know, they they didn't have such a great year last year, and and they've had their issues. So there are very few teams. Uh, they, I guess Juventus has been on a pretty good streak, at least uh, domestically, but still. Ronaldo playing there, though, isn't it? Uh, yeah, he is, but I don't, I don't know if he's extended after this year or not. I hadn't followed that explicitly because there's rumors of him uh, now that Beckham owns a team over here in the U.S. in Miami, uh, Miami United. Is it Miami United? Yeah, Miami. I think it's Miami United. No, it's not United. It's something else. Um, but anyway, since since he's a uh, proprietor of that team, there's there's been rumors of Ronaldo coming over. There's been rumors of Messi coming over because Messi's not too happy with Barcelona right now. Uh, I don't think either of those will explicitly happen. Um, you know, but uh, funny thing, you know, Ibrahimovic came over for a couple of years, played for, for in L.A., uh, and now he's back into Syria. Uh, and uh, there's a couple of other folks over here now. I mean, most folks are. A lot of them are towards the end of their career, but you know, at this point, until there's a handful of U.S. players that are really becoming prominent right now, right? Pulisic is probably one of the most informed players in the in the, in the EPL right now, so in in the Premier League. So uh, he scored a fabulous goal against City. I think we were chatting about this back at the summit about the the, the football in the states, and and I think you were saying the the attendances are pretty decent in the American League. Yeah, definitely. MLS has picked up, and there are places like Seattle in particular. Seattle has a team that they won the uh, MLS Cup last year. Um, there, um, they they draw you know sixty to seventy thousand people in their in their games. So uh, there's a handful of other uh, places: Kansas City, Portland. I think New York Red Bull pulls uh, a fa- fairly big crowds consistently. Most of them pull fairly big crowds consistently, uh, and so it's it's growing uh, big time here. Um, oh, definitely. I mean, we, and, what, what Barnsley would give for seventy thousand fans to rock <laughs> up one, one day and attend? I think uh, we're 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 twelve thousand, fourteen thousand. Yeah. Uh, well, that's still pretty big for a lower league team, though, right? I mean, you've got places like Bournemouth, whose stadium doesn't even seat that many, <laughs> and they're they're in the top tier, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, we we built our stadium up with the uh, you know, Premier League money and things like that, and. Um, We've still got one section of it though. It's built in the 1950s. It's brilliant. It's like the old school. It's it, as a kid. There's this white wall that goes around part of the pitch. And as a kid, this was one you used to sort of you know put your head over to watch the match when you were sure. you go down the front. And looking at it now, I mean, it must come up to my knees or something. My thighs, <laughs> maybe it's like tidy. But as a kid, I mean, I went to the first match I saw was Barnsley v Shrewsbury, 1981. Uh, they'd just come up from what was the old Division 3, which is now League 1, into the Division 2, now the Championship. Um, and my dad took me down, and we beat Shrewsbury 4-0, and that was it. You know, that's, uh, And I'm not a hardcore fan, but that, you know, that was me sold. I suddenly had my team to support. 
and it was a bit of a golden period. Uh, the 81 season was renowned for being um, quite, a, quite a big one for Barnsley and a, and a good squad. We had, uh, I suppose, a player you might know is Mick McCarthy, uh, who managed Republic of Ireland for a while. I think uh, the name's probably familiar, but yeah, that goes back before my time of following a lot of uh, non-US sports. <laughs> right. He, he took over to Jack Charlton, who died recently, who was right. the manager of uh, Republic of Ireland. Um at the 94 USA World Cup. Um, and then I think Mick took over just after that. Um, but he was he was a defender for Barnes. He went off to play for City, Man City. Um, but a bit, bit of a golden period for, for us that. Uh, and a good time to kind of become a supporter as well. Um, so for, for yourself then, so when did you get into it then? The Man U, Man U in particular, you became a fan of them straight away, was it? Yeah, so it was mainly after the... I mean, I'd followed a little bit, but it was the 2014 World Cup that really sold me on everything. And I'm not sure, I guess, because it was on this 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 half of the hemisphere, right? I mean, it was in Brazil, so all the games pretty much went on during the daytime here. Um, I, I was working, I don't even know what customer I was working with, uh, but I pretty much was able to watch literally almost every game. <laughs> it was kind of insane. Um, and, and I think the, the menu really came from, and it, and it was kind of interesting because it's not like he was a lifelong menu player, but he's, he's still revered as, as Robin Van Persie and, and, and watching their opening game against Spain, right. And Spain was clearly the incumbent that year they had won in, in 2010. And they were just a super powerhouse at that point, but watching the, the header, uh, that came in from, um, Good Lord, I can see his face, but I can't remember the other winger that played for uh, for Bayern. Uh, and watching his header go over Iker Casillas uh, was just a phenomenal moment. And from that point on, I was sold on on him and 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 Menu. And, and so that was, you know. And then of course, I, I don't know how much was televised before that. I think a little bit was televised before that, but not a ton was here in the U.S. as far as EPL goes. But I think that was one of the the turning points as well as for the EPL getting uh, shown here on a regular basis as well. So. Right. Right. Was was that the World Cup when uh, when Germany beat Brazil about yes. seven nil or something? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was seven one. Yeah, uh, seven someone nine, I don't remember yeah. who there was. It was it might have been. I don't think no, because Neymar was hurt. I don't remember. Someone put in a goal late. So I don't remember who it was. So yeah, that was an interesting time. It definitely was. We were kind of sat there going, "My God, this is this is slightly embarrassing," particularly being the hosts as well. And it was Germany oh, yeah. sort of won that one, wasn't it? Was it, it yeah, they beat Argentina 1-0. Uh, uh, Mario Getza from... Uh, yeah, Mario Getza put in the, the winning one in there. So Yeah. See, my memories of World Cup start in 1978. Yeah, you've Argentine got a lot more. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, but but I, I get to about ni- um, 98, and I can't remember from then on. I seem to have this long-term memory about the matches. Um it's all blended into one now, because England have been so poor, really, since 98, apart from we got to the semi-finals in the last one, which didn't seem exciting to me. I kind of got bored of it. We were we were actually in Paris for the beginning of the World Cup this last time, so that was that was kind of fun. Yeah, there was there was a lot of Parisians out and very happy. That was at the beginning, though. It wasn't near the end, so... Uh, I did pick up a, a French jersey though. It only has two stars on it though, so I need to. <laughs> so that was, but I kind of knew that was coming. Um, at least it, that was the that was the path for me. I figured that that was going to happen. So, but we were in Amsterdam near the end of it, and and I think uh, England was still in it, and the pubs were packed. Um, 
and there was there was we were walking around during one of the England games, and uh, I don't remember it was probably Harry Kane that scored, and uh, you know, the whole city pretty much erupted because there were a lot of English folks in in Amsterdam yeah. at the time. <laughs> I remember the 1990 World Cup. Um, obviously, for for the English was a big one with Gascoigne, and and um, we went in there with absolutely no no. Um, thoughts of getting anywhere really and the team that um bobby robson the manager hadn't really um defined the 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 lineup and the and the and the configuration of the team uh the formation sorry um and so you know we weren't expecting anything at all but then we ended up in the semi-finals um so the whole nation was like buzzing at the time and um Remember that particular um, night? We'd gone to our friends. Um, his dad ran a pub, so we we were drinking beers and watching the match. And uh, his dad, being a, a tight northerner, uh, so we were re- renowned in Yorkshire for, for being tight with our money, um, said that he would, um, if if Germany win, he uh, was it, if Germany would win, he would uh, take ten pence off a beer. <laughs> something like that you know it was like um we were That's like so, okay so wait a minute we've got to start cheering for the germans now so we can get some <laughs> reduction in beer this is not on. Yeah, terrible. um and then we and then we lost and we were gutted and we ended up uh in the uh classic night in japanese whispers discotheque nightclub in barnsley singing uh dancing away to new orders uh World in Motion song, <laughs> great night. <laughs> but nice. um, but yeah, I, like I said, I remember so much more about these older World Cups. Obviously, we've got '86 where Maradona's famous hand of God yep. against our uh, <laughs> Peter Shilton in the net's dreadful. I mean, he's a goalie, you know, jump, he can jump up, and this little tiny guy gets above him. But I mean, then you've got to credit him for his second goal, which was just pretty, pretty outstanding, sure. really. Um. I also have a memory of coming home from school in 82 and um, I think it was Brian Robson, our captain, scored after about, it's not six seconds, it's something ridiculously quick. I just just turned the telly on after getting home from school, you know, put my bag down and all that, put the telly on and uh, we have a throw in and next thing you know, we've scored. And those little moments, you know, they stay with you forever. Obviously. Yes. I mean, that's nearly, nearly 40 years ago. <laughs> And I even remember uh, Archie Gemmell scoring for Scotland in '78 against Holland. You know, um, that is that's that's 42 years ago. It's like the other day. It's like the other day. Pretty scary. So, you, so when you t- when you started supporting Manu, then um, was that was Fergie still in charge? Nope, that was just the year right after Fergie. Yeah, so that we can't was see you're a glory hunter. Then can we really? Because it's been a it's been a struggle since then. Uh, yeah, times for sure. They've made some poor management decisions. They've they've bought some players they probably shouldn't have and spent lots of money on them. And um, yeah, they've they've had a few toxic personalities as well. So yeah, um, does I, it feel I, a bit more settled this season? It's yes and no. I mean, until it goes back to Fergie, right? Which whether it will or ever, you know, won't. Who knows? But that's what everyone's kind of used to. So there's always a bit of an unease unless they're, you know, flying high and and winning three nil, four one, you know, yeah. scoring five six goals. Uh, yeah. And so there's always that. But um, 
you know, at least we're not West Ham. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, and, I, and of course, I probably just jinxed him, right? Not that, not that my words should <laughs> should have any universal consequences, but um, well, well, so big matches tonight for both of us. Then I suppose, um, yeah, you know, the potential for for better things in a way. I mean, for for, for Man U then. Um, you know, you're looking at Liverpool, and it took them 30 years to retain the title. I mean, what what are your thoughts on Man U's ability to to do it, and 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 do you think it's going to be years before they do it themselves? They've they've got most of the players in place right now. Um, I think they have a a couple of things they really need to shore up and mentality wise. But part of that is them being somewhat young. Part of that is is Ollie. Um, really trying to figure out how to get the best out of them all as well. Uh, you know, there were, there were a couple of, of pillars, uh, at least in the second part of Fergie's career, right? In, in Vidic and, and Ferdinand, right? That, you know, you could count on them day in, day out constantly. Uh, and they rarely made mistakes. So, um, and so he always had a platform to build on. Uh, so Ollie's got to find that right now. I think he has a platform up front, and now they've got it. They're they're wor- he's working it kind of the different way. So we'll see. I don't know. You know, I think coaches that were defenders or goalies have an advantage because they're they're used to seeing the entire field. Uh, and and coaches that worked from the front or you know that were frontmen, they don't always have that view. And so I think they approach the game slightly differently. And I, and I, I don't know. I don't. So I, I think in a way he's, he's missing something. And, and so we'll see if that, if that hurts the team, um, you know, uh, fo- folks that, that did start in the back and, and they may not have necessarily been, you know, even the greatest defenders in the world. Uh, and, and even if they were defenders, they still could be offensive minded when they coach because they saw everything in front of them. It was always in front of them. So I don't know. That could just be me, you know, making things up too. So it's, it's hard to tell, but I, I do think he's missing a small piece and what he's trying to do with the team because he never had to do that or deal with that uh, as a player himself. And then he needs to pick that up from someone else. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I'd, I'd read a couple of good things about them since coming back from the break uh, and, you know, more consistent, more, more solid team. So that's, that's a positive and, you know, yep. I don't. I mean, I was asking my eldest, "When does the new season start again?" I didn't have any ideas. <laughs> I think it's September, because uh, well, we have the two games left this year or for this season in the EPL. But then Europa and Champions League start, uh, and FA Cup still has to finish as well. FA Cup only has the one game left now, uh, but Europa is going to be a closed tournament somewhere in Germany. I don't remember in, where in Germany. Um, and so I think, I don't remember how long it's going to take them to finish out their games. Um, they're all going to be single elimination now though. Uh, and then I think, uh, Champions League was going to be in Spain and that's going to be similar. It's going to be a closed tournament, uh, where all the teams just go to one location and play in Spain. And I think that's all in August. Those are both scheduled in August. So. Again, being a Barnsley fan, I hadn't noticed any of those fixtures. I hadn't seen, <laughs> I hadn't seen them. Yeah, I've totally forgotten about that. So really, they could potentially be, all, you know, going straight through, couldn't they? And then kick starting again. Yeah, I mean, for for some of the teams, that's a at least some of the players, right? Most of the international players, that wasn't overly unusual over the last few years because everyone has tournaments over the summer, right? You've got Copa in South America. 
Uh, not that the Gold Cup drew tons of international players, especially from Europe, but the Gold Cup here in the U.S. happens every two years. And the champ- the European Championships were supposed to happen this year as well, right? So they would have mostly been playing through the summer anyway. Mm. I, su- I suppose it's just forget forget about pre-season, those kind of... Right, they, they've... That's exactly. They they'll have about a month off, I think, in EPL, right? Uh, and and so they'll they'll kind of be going right back into it, and I don't think it'll be too big of a deal. So I think the big question is when they start letting crowds back in uh, and spectators back in. So um, I don't know if that should happen anytime soon. It, it's really it's. I've gotten used to watching the games without the crowds. I think I kind of like it because you can hear more things. Um, uh, a lot of the broadcasts, you have the choice here in the U.S., uh, at least for the EPL, you can choose natural sound or they, they actually pipe in crowd noise, which I think is just, it's just weird. Especially if you don't know it's something piped in, it's probably okay, but I know that it's not natural, so it's just stupid to listen to. So I never listen to it. But And you can hear the guys you know, shouting at each other. You can't always make out what they're saying, but you can hear them shouting and you can hear the coaches shouting and that, so... I think that's kind of an interesting aspect of the game that you you never get never got before. So. What what I loved on at the weekend was Barnsley won in the in the uh, I think it was the ninety third minute, which kept us in the you know the, the chase to avoid relegation. And the manager came sprinting onto the pitch to celebrate with the players, and I thought well, that's different. <laughs> that wouldn't normally happen. You know they'd be restricted. Right. Um, so it's a, it's a totally different feel. Obviously, there was no crowd to go crazy with. So he ended up running in there and having to do it himself. Slight pitch invasion from from yeah. the manager. I think a lot of the games have been cleaner as well. I don't I don't see a lot of the kind of semi malicious fouls. Right, with, with the crowds going, they 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 egg people on. People get their adrenaline going, and they they stop thinking as much and so, you know, i don't see you know there's been a handful of bad tackles i think most of them have been kind of someone thinking they could do something and they can't and they couldn't whereas with the crowds you can see he's out there he's not necessarily trying to hurt someone i mean you can you can say that on occasion but not necessarily trying to hurt someone but he knows that what he's doing is he shouldn't be doing and and they they do that when the crowd is there but i don't i don't think i've seen any really that i can think of tackles like that without the crowds there. So there there clearly been some bad tackles, you know, guys thinking they could do something that they they can't, but not not just being purely malicious about it. Well, it's it's a big night. It's a big night of, of action and it's it's a do or die for us. So it'd be interesting to see and by the time this podcast goes out we'll we'll know exactly where <laughs> we stand. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So Jason, thanks ever so much for taking part in the podcast. Um, it's been a real blast chatting with you, getting to know some little uh, bits of info, interesting bits of info about yourself I definitely didn't know before. And, uh, you know, good luck against West Ham tonight. And, uh, you know, I suppose living in Charlton, West Ham's a rival team, so I can kind of say that. Um, and, yeah, you know, um, it would be interesting to see when we all get to meet up again. And it was a pleasure to have you over in, in London uh, last year, wasn't it, for the uh, the Dog? So, I think it was two years ago now. <laughs> it's been a while. Jeez. Yeah, I think it was. God, time is flying. So, yep. uh, you know, if things are all kicking again and that, you know, you're always welcome to come over and present again and things like yep. that, you know, it's a pleasure. You just have to convince your government to let Americans in. Oh, yeah, and vice versa, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not happening much, is it? 
So yeah, nope. absolute pleasure chatting to you. Thanks for taking part in the podcast. Absolutely. It was awesome, Paul. Thank you very much. 